Sligo O'Toole podcast is sponsored by Queen's University Belfast. Researchers at Queen's are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus. To discover more about their research, please visit qeb.ac.uk. My name's Brian O'Neill and welcome to the Sligo O'Toole In Conversation podcast. This week my guest is Adam Turgington from Seathead Arts. Adam is well known as being the manager of Culture Night, the popular annual activity in Belfast, which unfortunately, Adam, I assume is going to be cancelled this year. Yeah, yeah, they've cancelled it. Yeah, you can imagine um, during a pandemic, bringing 50,000 people out in the streets, probably not the, the best idea. Um, how many people was has this been attracting the past few years, Culture Night? Have you been keeping up to date? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, it was, it was around 80,000 whenever I left, so um I, I i'm not aware i know i know that definitely last year they were trying to kind of spread it over the the evening and then the following day so i think that did mean there weren't quite as many people out on the evening which was probably not a bad thing either actually but yeah the last couple of years that i was in charge were insane that's a lot of people now i remember <laughs> you telling me one time and i didn't actually know if you were winding me up or it was real that you said you were using like satellite technology, the estimate the crowd size is that correct, or you will wake me up? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I will. <laughs> um, I think that's that's what the security guy told me at the time, um, and I'm beginning to wonder if he was just yanking my chain um, at the time. Um, but there is a kind of it is kind of like a heat map thing, so yeah. you'll have like a capacity per street, and you'll see, um, you know. The, the you're doing a calculation whether they're whether he was winding me up whether he was winding me up i believed it because i'm gullible that way uh or whether they were just like kind of taking a guess at how many people were in the street but um he was certainly he was certainly telling me that there was satellite technology involved in there finding out when a, when a street had got too full but you know yeah, it sounds like those kind of those action movies where they kind of CA or kind of watching real time footage of. Yeah. I think that's certainly what the security man thought he was doing. You know, I think he's like taking out Osama instead of um, you know running Culture Night. But there you go. Belfast. Now, um, Culture Night. I think uh, Newton Emerson described it as the uh, middle class twelfth. Um, but it did seem very popular. I mean, what what what, what do you think it kind of uh, was a key to its success? Uh, it's really that uh, yeah. It's kind of hard to respond to that um, middle class twelfth thing. It, it it it's absolutely in some ways a fair go and it's a good joke, um, but it's also I think quite dismissive of the twelfth and quite dismissive of you know uh, of of the sort of people that came to culture night as well. So yes, it was um, uh, the the the. the the, the narratives that people would kind of draw between the two are um, lots of alcohol, um, people kind of taking over the streets um, and kind of a little bit of uh, all, all the rules go out the window for our cultural celebration, um, which is certainly something that I wasn't, uh, that I didn't dis- discourage as such. You know, I kind of like the idea of, you know, closing the roads and making it an exceptional night where, you know, magic happened and you could get away with stuff <clears throat> that you wouldn't get away with in any other night of the year, you know. Um, but I, I think in terms of, I think at the time that arced me because I felt that um, as somebody who's worked in the arts for all my life, um, 
it was probably the least middle class arts event you would ever be at, you know, um, by definition of it being free and, and, and open to everyone and, and really, really mixed, you know, um, look, it's one of the things that defines my drive as a practitioner, um, is that I want to be able to appeal to a wide, uh, as wide an audience as possible. Um, and, and, and there is a certain amount of, of audience curation as well. There's a certain amount of like, um, you know, specialism and I don't want everybody all the time, but I, I'm a populist effectively, you know, I, I am interested in things that are quality, but that can be engaged with on a number of levels. So if you want to go on a deep dive, um, and talk about, you know, kind of an ideological kind of sociological subtext and meaning and all that kind of stuff, you can do that. But also, uh, if you just want to like watch the pretty colors, uh, it's also kind of, it works on that level as well. Um, so, well, yeah, no, I was going to say, because I think um, to me, why Culture Night worked was that, and I actually think some of the kind of key elements of it that why it worked were actually quite simple in terms of closing off the roads, mm. making it kind of walkable, making, you know, it family friendly, you know, to a certain degree, especially in the early years, you know, with a lot of the street artists and entertainers, etc. And I think people just kind of liked that pottering about having a chat you know meeting up with people you know watching the kind of the entertainment and i was always kind of wondered why they don't just do that kind of like once a month now i don't mean obviously to the same level of culture because i know there's a bucket load of activities but in terms of just picking a sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon and closing off a lot of the roads and having, you know, stuff outdoors and some kind of entertainment. It seemed to be such kind of like an obvious thing that the council could do. Do you know where kind of coming from? You know, that would be kind of like a very yeah. simple. <clears throat> well, what I learned very quickly when I took over Culture Night that is, is that closing roads is um, like not something that we do in Northern Ireland. Now, this has changed and it's easier now. Um, Although Nicola Mallon has found closing Hill Street more difficult than I think she first thought. But anyway, that's another matter. Um, but certainly whenever I took over, when I spoke to the police about closing the roads, they basically said, look, the, the only legal way to close a road at the minute is to have a parade or to, or, or to make a film. Um, so I had a parade. So on my first year, we organised a Lord Mayor of the Cathedral Quarters parade and we had a public vote and Terry Hooley won so we had a we had basically applied to the parades commission to march up and down Donegal Street for three and a half hours. So it was like the one route repeated for three and a half hours, and that is how we closed the road. Um, and and that changed everything. Uh, and and that was that was I, I suppose when I took over Culture Night, that was the thing. That was my on my first year. That was the one thing that I was determined to do <clears throat> was to close at the very least Donegal Street because I felt that it was like this in terms of how the space worked as a site it was this kind of like chasm where buses were running up and down in the middle of, of the site which just didn't really work i mean there's a number of things at play there i think the first being uh, placemaking and the idea of you know how much we kind of allow cars to dictate our entire space you know it's it's something that um 
it really interests me, you know, and when stuff like the the Gerard Italia comes, you know, or even just during lockdown, whenever there wasn't a lot of cars on the street, you know, everything changes, like the whole kind of vibe of 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 spaces change. <clears throat> and people become immediately more playful, more free, um, and more kind of in, you know, engaged whenever suddenly they, they're walking down the middle of the road, which is something Walking down the middle of a closed road is really empowering, you know, as a lot of people who are in the parades will tell you. You know, there's something about taking a piece of space that's used for, you know, like, HGV lorries and, like, walking along it and, and knowing that you're okay to do that. Um, and, and sort of, it's something like, I think it feels like reclaiming space or something. Um, so so there's the, the idea of closing roads is is absolutely key i think you know and, and reclaiming back from the car um a lot of our civic spaces that's that's kind of and i always kind of explain to people that culture night was once a year an opportunity to demonstrate what was possible and that's not my job is not to do it once a month or twice a year my job was to do it once a year and really push hard to demonstrate what was possible and then it was the job of other legislators to um to, to, to kind of look at that and, and do something with it. Um, in terms of the family-friendly stuff and the kind of, like, it was always my intention that, uh, again, in terms of the populism aspect of it, um, I, I, I kind of feel that people don't really get what art is um, and creativity. Um, and I think that's largely down to the arts establishment in our country um, who like to keep it to themselves um, and like to put it behind, you know, large price points in, in inside venues that are, you know, kind of only for people in fur coats and bow ties, you know. Um, and, and whenever people feel like, you know, they're asked about <clears throat> whether they care about the arts, they kind of think, well, no, I don't give a shit about opera or, you know, uh, classical music or theatre, so therefore I don't care about the arts. And, and that's that's really, you know, you don't get that anywhere else in the world nearly. Um, uh, and that's largely down to how the arts has been portrayed by the people in charge of the arts. So a lot of what I was trying to do was kind of just shake that up a bit and say, this is creativity let loose and this is the potential of what it has to do if you if you if you kind of let it run is there is there a difference in your mind between the arts and entertainment um yeah there's a difference um but it's not it's like it's a lot why I mean, yeah, not all arts is entertaining, I think. And I guess is all entertainment arts? Maybe not. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like there's a there's yeah. a very if you were to draw a Venn diagram of the two things, there's a lot of it that's the same and there's certainly more of it um the, the, than the than the Arts Council would suggest. You know, I mean the Arts Council don't have stand up comedy as an art form you know, um, amongst a whole load of other things that are, are really very creative and, and are art forms as far as I'm concerned. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose what I'm getting at is there's always this kind of eternal question of, you know, what is art? And especially now in the modern age where everyone can be quite creative. I mean, uh, I don't know if you ever like watch some of the kind of TikTok videos or you know, stuff sure, on YouTube. Yeah. No, but I know actually, what you mean. <laughs> I watch I, I them honestly, on their shoulder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a lot of stuff you see in TikTok, I mean, honestly, it's better than some some stuff you see in like the BBC or the shows. You know, it's, it's quite imaginative, a lot of these these things. But I mean, uh, as you say, I mean, the arts establishment can be quite uh, sniffy about, about certain things. But I think it, it's fair to ask this question of, with the internet, it's had this kind of democratization of creating and tools and that that anyone can be churning out mini movies or creating songs on their on their macbooks or ipods or whatever and so it, it kind of blurs the lines really of what is traditional art versus you know the new yards well yes but a tech talker isn't going to get funded by the arts council right so you know we can have a conversation about you know, what's creativity and what's art and what's entertainment and all these kind of things. And unfortunately we're, we're living in a, we're living in a kind of society where there are people in positions of privilege who will, who like to draw lines around their concept of what art is because that's their arts. So, I mean, whatever I think, you know, I mean, I think what I think, yeah. But unfortunately, that hegemony is kind of set in place by an establishment that is is calling arts a very, very narrow set of, of skills, you know, which are great. I mean, I'm into them, but there's it's yeah. much wider than that. Well, I suppose where the question was leading was um, there's a whole debate now around universal basic income. You know, of just kind of giving people sure, free yeah. money, and I often kind of wonder, particularly in arts, because a lot of the money is eaten up by the bureaucracy and the administration or whatever. But if you if you did have universal basic income, which would just allow people to a certain level of of income to get on with what they actually want to do without having to be defined in a particular kind of box, you see where I'm coming from? You know? No, 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 a hundred percent. I mean, as when I first read up on UBI, I was like, this is like, this is what the arts, this would be revolutionary for the arts. Yeah. Um, because it would allow people to, to kind of exist on a, on a basic level and not have to kind of work in a bar to pay the bills while they kind of practice their art form on the, on the side, you know, um, I mean, just to, uh, just to give you a little, I mean, my business is entirely free of funding. You know, I'm, I'm not a charity. Seedhead Arts is a business. Um, and the other, I mean, I run another business called Daisy Chain, and it's a business, you know. So we don't, we aren't going, I'm not applying to the Arts Council. And, and, and in fact, we set up uh, Vault Artist Studios, of which I'm also the chair. And that is a artist studios with over 100 artists in it. Um and we have we've set that up with no public funding at all, um, and no certainly no core funding um, since we have set up. Got a little bit of program money to do programs, but we are we are effectively self sufficient, um, and that's that's a thing I'm really proud of. You know, because I because I don't like having to dance uh, and fit that kind of um, that agenda. You know. Um, 
so yeah, absolutely. Um, having, I'm I'm really lucky. That's kind of the thing, you know. I work in, I, I kind of work across a number of art forms, and I can. Some of them are quite commercial, and I can make enough money off them, and that allows me my passion projects, you know, to work on other stuff that doesn't make so much money. Um, yeah. But there's literally thousands of people who work in the sector who are, especially at the minute, like just don't even know where they're. Are they going to pay their next, like, food bill? Never mind their rent, you know? Yeah, because I, I, I remember, I mean, I've been reading some uh, music biographies lately, and a lot of artists will say, and particularly the ones from the kind of 70s and 80s, that the, the, the dull was, in a way, the, the universal basic income of its day, you know, it allowed them the opportunity to kind of, um, to create and to kind of sit around and to kind of discover themselves and try music and form bands and all that there. Whereas now the kind of focus almost seems to be entirely in this kind of a you know, cult of productivity and that every minute of your day must be spent in splendid efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's this real, um, there's an art of not working personally, I think, you know, and that's what's been really great for me about, um, about lockdown was like kind of really being able to lean into that even more than, possible again as a freelancer i think when you work in a job and you know like i worked for council for 10 years you know and you go in and you have to be at your desk at a certain time because you know if you're not at your desk you're not working and if you are at your desk you are working so you go and you sit at your desk you clock out and that it doesn't even really matter what you've done during the day like you know they'll kind of they'll ask you have you done something after a while but there's no real kind of marker on that you know and and like i find actually as a freelancer i do very 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 little work in the mornings that's just my thing i can't really get my head around it um but yet i can absolutely nail potentially a a full day's worth of work basically and in a couple of hours in the afternoon or and if i'm really behind you know burn into the night you know but that idea that that idea that I have to work a certain amount of hours to get a certain amount, you know, it do, just, it doesn't, that's not how it should work. Um, you know, we need to, there's this idea of time and productivity and having to kind of just be at it all the time, which, which I think is really unhealthy and it's particularly unhealthy for creative, for creatives, you know, because to be creative you need space. You need time yeah. to kind of like let ideas percolate, and you need to sit and have coffee with people. Like, mm-hmm. and when I worked in the, well, I used to work in the waterfront, and I was down, I was drinking coffee with people all the time, and the people people used to rake me, and I'm like, this is my work, man. This is me. I'm coming up with. We're coming up with really good ideas, sitting talking yeah. shit. You know, that's how that's how it works. Like all the stuff that I do have has pretty much come from me either drinking pints or drinking coffee and like talking about shit and then going hey let's do let's do that let's do that you know so it's um well, yeah well uh, my, my, my question as as a fellow kind of um old person compared to young people we, we remember a world before the internet mm-hmm. just about um because what my, my problem with, with lockdown was um uh, at the start, I kind of like got a lot of books, and I was going to kind of learn these skills and the X, Y, and Z. And 
what actually the reality was I just find myself arching around the internet which you know on Twitter and stuff I got there mm-hmm. and this the modern the internet social media is just so addictive and enticing then it, it leads to this problem of um, you don't have the kind of space to think you know remember like when we were kids used to be bored or like nothing on TV and I, I sometimes wonder for for young people nowadays or for any of us that those moments of boredom just don't exist anymore and therefore you don't process things or the time to think you know kind of what I'm getting at so I've just kind of been left with this kind of feeling of like self-loathing of kind of wasting the lockdown you know? well yeah I mean there's a couple of things there I, I, I suppose I would say that I my 16 year old daughter absolutely is bored like she's bored of the internet you know she's sitting looking at just the same old shit all day and is like and then and is bored like she's like i'm so bored you know what i mean um so you know uh i I think that there's a different sort of sensibility in that generation um and and i i am i'm very lucky i sort of um I mean, I've done, I did a lot of running and I did a lot of baking and a lot of cooking. And those are things that I love to do. So I'd kind of just up them, probably spent a bit more time on the internet. I'm actually really surprised at how little I've watched TV. Um, and I've played a lot of, there's a, there's a card game called Dominion, (laughs) which is, which has an amazing online interface, which you can play against people. So I've been hanging out with my mates on Zoom and playing dominion a lot um and that's been great and i've learned how to play dungeons and dragons talk about nerdy so somebody like thought that would be good fun that would be a thing that would be an excuse to hang out um in lockdown so we've done that which is i can't quite believe i'm admitting this in public but lots of um 20 sided dice and all the things lots of 20 sided dice yeah but it's kind of like just hanging out while rolling 20 sided dice to be honest it's it's a bit of crack um But yeah, I think. I, but I was going to say, I think one of the things that I find is that that there are things that you do that are space. So they're not like I'm not I'm not meditating. Like I'm not doing yoga, or I'm not like kind of just sitting there at one with the universe. Um, but like. I would say, like, sometimes when I'm busy, I always say, like, I always, the only the only place I have to think is the shower. The, only, the time that I have my best ideas seems to be when I'm in the shower because it's the only time where I'm, like, not doing something, you know. My mind has a little bit of time to wander. And now I think during lockdown there was a lot more of those activities, so, like, kneading bread or, you know, kind of going for a run or or even just, like, playing a mindless kind of game is, like, like you know a game on your phone which is like we beat ourselves up over playing a game on your phone like you why have i wasted that time and actually what you've done i think sometimes is you've just let your brain do nothing for like 20 minutes so yeah no sorry i mean i I just i just kind of feel like sometimes we beat ourselves up over this kind of Mm -hmm. notion of like worthiness you know like we have to be doing and there was so well, there's a lot of talk about it actually in the total lockdown. You know, if you just get through this, then you're doing okay. You don't need to learn to craft or some shit like yeah, that. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's kind of like it's an opportunity to sit in your hole and do fuck all. And when do you get the chance to do that? You know, you don't really. So 
happy days of trying yeah, far too I much. Mean, but anyway, <laughs> I suppose what I was thinking of is because if you're in, when you're in contact with with young artists, mm. um, are they still as kind of creative? Because I kind of wonder, um, is it just a, a, more of an issue of our generation or kind of kind of between these two worlds of online? Whereas younger people have kind of grown up with all this stuff, maybe they're probably able to better better handle it more so. To be honest, like they've got yeah. a lot more going on you know there's a lot more um there's a lot more stimulation there's a lot more information there's a lot more opportunity to learn and find out things and you can teach yourself you can learn things on the internet that you used to have to go to class for you know so people are are integrating lots of different kind of crafts and art forms into their practice without having to kind of pay for a course or and i guess and you'll find that as well at the vault is that there's a lot of people kind of sharing practices and kind of um collaborating together and just kind of i mean community is stimulation you know what i mean like being with other people and talking that's that that i mean and that's kind of the biggest problem i think creatively with with lockdown i can't imagine being somebody who's like been locked down and you know on their own like that would just be not you know that whole lack of human contact um well well does the, does the lockdown kind of show us then the importance of community and connection um because remember at the start of lockdown everyone was doing the online pub quizzes and zoom calls and i mean i i, I work i mean I, i've been working in the internet 25 years so i know all this stuff but I would be the first person to say that most of it's just crap. You know, it, it's it's no substitute for the real thing or online concerts or any of this here type of stuff. You know, it, it's fine. It's better than nothing, but you'd still rather have reality. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't paid. I haven't gone to any online. I've watched a couple of you know comedy things that um, friends were you know that people that I work with had done. Um, but it's not for me. Um, online entertainment i'm like you're pretty much up against global you know people you know budgets of millions and millions of pounds you know what i mean i'm not like somebody yeah it's kind of hard to kind of go up against that so um but then again some people do i mean this guy the comedian know patty raff yeah familiar with some of his stuff i mean, I mean he seems to have a, had a had a great lockdown he's kind of yes. uh, I mean, turning out videos yeah. and he's got himself a bbc show out of it and and all the rest so maybe. no absolutely i mean if you want to do it like i'm not i mean it's like it's like anything you know um it's not for me you know and yeah. and, and, I, and i've seen some of Patty's stuff it's great um but like he's doing like i think you know, it's a different thing saying I'm going to do some sketches and I'm going to put them on Facebook, you know, than it is yeah. saying I'm going to charge you, you know, a tanner to come and watch an hour of my content. You know, that's that's not something that I've explored. And I think largely it was down to the fact I didn't need to because I kind of, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to set this out. And I think a lot of what we do is is so much about bringing people together I just mm-hmm. we did we did the real we've done we've done one event um one one of our regular events once a month it's tomorrow actually um it's called real sketchy and we've we've worked out a way that we can do that and it feels like we're kind of together you know um uh, but it's i mean 
the thing about real sketchy is i do it for free so yeah. you know i do it for the crack and i don't have to charge it's never you know so we're just kind of live streaming it and and not charging so um yeah it's not it's not a thing that i've given a lot of thought to to be honest because i just it's not for me but that doesn't yeah. mean to say that it's not going to work for other people but okay i hear i hear um, ryan vale's show well, i heard lots of really lovely reports about his show that he did last week actually so it's kind of bummed i didn't actually have a go at that but there you go check out one out um so it's going to move on to ask you about this year i think for the first time since the the second world war where we have a either either no 12th or a minimized 12th now a few years ago i was at um the, the 12 celebrations with a friend of mine he was with a group of american students and showing them around and we, we went to the field now a lot of people get a bit sniffy about the 12th and about the alcohol and all the rest of it um but what i found about it was to me it was a lot of kind of working class kids from different estates in belfast and it was a day out for them and mm-hmm. i said look you know let them have their day out go for it like you know because uh, so much stuff is kind of so aimed you know the middle class people or whatever that you know it, it's nice to have kind of once you strip out you know obviously the political baggage it's primarily a day out and they weren't really worried about um, uh, battles or supremacy or whatever. They just had a bit of crack with, with their mates. So why I'm bringing that up is because I know you used to be um, the head of the Shankle Festival. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago, yeah. Back in the day. But how can we... Um, I'm trying to phrase it right. Because you, you, I'm not saying that you kind of like neuter the 12th or the bonfires or, or try to make it more kind of middle class the acceptable but but is there a way that you can kind of like um the redevelop the 12th and the celebrations to kind of make it more attractable for their their audience i mean maybe like more uh concerts and events in the areas i don't know what you know i'm kind of getting that yeah i, do. I mean to make it less. i think there's a Yeah, like you're kind of struggling to ask the question. So that goes to show you how difficult it is to answer. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like there there is a... I've been thinking a lot about identity politics, you know, in the last couple of years, I think, and just how capitalism re- depends on it. You know what I mean? And I kind of, you know... I'm uncomfortable with the idea of basically not letting people kind of um, have their day out. Yeah. And I'm uncomfortable with a lot. You know, like, I guess the example is like, I'm uncomfortable with people using the phrase flag with an E and, and I'm uncomfortable with that kind of level of, Snobbery, I think sometimes, yeah. and I think I think we need to. And I was something came up in my memories recently where I kind of said like, you know, bonfires are class, you know, if they're done right, you know, what I mean? <laughs> bonfires are like. In my second year of college night, I made a point of having a ba- we had a we had a burning man in front of St. Anne's Cathedral, and it was class, you know. Bonfires are amazing, um, and I think the question is not about how do we neuter this or how do we 
kind of change it or and it's certainly not how do we like add other entertainment that will attract other people because for me it's kind of like it is what it is and i don't i mean when i ran this annual festival obviously that's what i was doing but we weren't doing it the 12th you know what i mean we weren't trying to rebrand the 12th we were just trying to kind of have a look at uh protestant culture and kind of you know put other things alongside it so that it was kind of um so there was celebrations of that but also for me it was a lot about trying to um let these people let these people let the the people who i was kind of responsible to expose them to other kind of uh cultures and i don't mean that in a kind of patronizing way i just mean like sort of like like making it so that it is more complex than that and a bit more nuanced and a bit more kind of for like for me you know kind of uh, culture is at its best when it's kind of um taking lots and lots of different influences from lots and lots of different places and, and kind of like weaving that into something and allowing them all to be their bits but then and have their own bits but then also kind of not being afraid to set them beside each other and let them bounce off each other if that makes some kind of vague sense <laughs> Yeah, because where I was kind of trying to get to was, um, in some ways, it would be good to see kind of more kind of cultural activities in kind of working class areas. But obviously, you know, it probably has to come from the community because the last thing I want is a bunch of middle class people coming in and telling them what they should enjoy. You know, that should be more bottom up, which I suppose is kind of what you're doing with some of your activities. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly in the vault. We're experiencing a lot of really interesting dialogue with the people who are right on our doorstep and and i think they're beginning to appreciate i mean they've not really had that kind of type of creativity in their you know what i mean in their in their in their world in their world or in their street certainly before um and there tends to be this kind of quite patronizing you know here's some art we're going to inject into your, you know, like, so it's kind of either here's this person coming and doing like glitter and paper and stuff with the kids, it's art, you know, uh, or, or, or like, here's some, something that you can't afford to pay for. We're just going to, you know, we'll put it in your area and, and make it cheaper. I, I don't know. I, I kind of, I, 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 obviously I worked in that. That was like 20 years ago. So it's, it's a while. Um, but I, I mean, it really did kind of inform my practice in terms of understanding, you know, how difficult it is to kind of change that perception that people have that art is not for them. You know what I mean? Um, and that it's, and I, I, I think that it does have to be incremental and it does have to be, um, you're not gonna, you know, you're, you're not gonna change, you're not gonna change somebody's life by like, you know, parachuting the Ulster Orchestra into their community for a night and then they leave, you know what I mean? That's yeah. not kind of how it works. Um, I, I think it's about people being, in the community and kind of 
engaging with them and being part of that. And that's not something that's ever going to be funded. Like nobody's going to go, you can't fund that. Like that's a life choice to kind of be in a community and kind of engage with them and be part of it and like sort of reach out to them and kind of choose to be part of that community. That's not a thing that you can make with funding decisions. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, yeah. you can't throw, you could throw like millions and millions of pounds at an arts center in the middle of a loyalist area. And the problem is that everybody would be into that and like trying to get a bit of it and then just doing here, let's get a bounty castle for the kids. You know what I mean? And like, that's not, that's not what, that's not what it is. You know, so you can't, you, you, it's all, like for me, everything comes to community. Everything comes down to community, and everything comes down to building relationships and finding ways to build connections. and And those connections should make people question their, you know, their ongoing narrative. You know, if you if you, I like personally, I think, you know, one of the things I've learned as I've got older, as you've pointed out earlier, very kindly, we're old. Um, is that you should never stop le- learning that you're wrong. You should never stop questioning. Um, and I'm sure, knowing what I know about Slugger, there'll be a million comments and, you know, the, telling me how wrong I am about lots of things, and that's fine. Because um, uh, I'm still learning. I still don't really know. Uh, certainly in the whole stuff around identity politics, I'm, I'm really wrestling with it and privilege and the whole kind of concept of how to interrogate that and as a white, you know, middle-aged man (laughs) who feels like, you know, there's kind of a lot of issues out there that I'm concerned, you know, that I'm concerned with. How do I kind of be an ally to the right people, but also still feel like the biggest problem you know that we need to address is is capitalism you know and and that you know so there's there's lots of stuff going on but all those things are for me around you know trying to have conversations and you only have conversations if you surround yourself with people who are like-minded then it's a really boring conversation and you don't go anywhere so yeah because because one thing that i think artists can kind of teach to kind of rest the society is like, like every now and again people will ask me about slugger and they'll ask me what slugger business model is and i explain that um we don't charge anything we make no money and nobody gets paid and they kind of look at me as if i'm mad but you know it it is a bit i mean you don't say parrot you don't want to be too pretentious but it's kind of like you do it just for the hell of it and that's what i like about some kind of artists um they're just doing something because they want to do it and i think sometimes in the modern world Everyone is looking for the funding. Everyone's looking for the sponsorship, which I know is important. But sometimes it's nice just to do something just for the sheer bloody hell of it, you know? Sure. I mean, Vault exists because some good dude sent me an email going, do you want this building? And I was like, aye, okay. You know, and I got some mates together and we took over a bank for, you know, a couple of years. And then whenever we didn't have that anymore, I found this old school, you know, and asked and, you know, there's no, I don't get any income from it, but what I've managed what I and the people who have, you know, brought on board, like, have managed to create is this 
phenomenal little community of weird messed up people like just the most diverse wing nuts it's great and people who challenge me every day you know and, and ask me you know questions that i wouldn't normally get asked um so so this it's it's a really you know those those things that, that and that's why i do that because i'm really interested in and again my practice is if you want to call it that you know i'm obsessed with this idea about how do we build connections and i guess that's because i grew up in northern ireland in a place that was really kind of needing that you know how do we find a way to have conversations with people with from different backgrounds and different ideologies and find a some some, some common ground but then b like the kind of the peace internally to be comfortable with the fact that not everyone's like me and that's okay you know yeah so just to probably last to round it up, I was going to ask you about alcohol because I know on Twitter you, you have kind of some views on <laughs> um, pubs and licensing and all this here type stuff. Because I'm, I'm kind of, because I've been thinking a lot about drink of late because I mean, I do drink, but I've cut back substantially since, uh, you know, my sons came along because the hangovers and toddlers just didn't mix, you know, so I've been cutting back. And and then I know this week um, they had an audit office, had a new report out saying that Alcohol problems cost the Northern Ireland economy like nine hundred millions every year. You know, you've got this uh, big issue, and a lot of arts, kind of events, and a lot of entertainment events, kind of like this, are synonymous. You know, with alcohol, mm-hmm. go hand in hand, and um, so I just kind of wonder what what you think about that, and then maybe also uh, your views. You know, on pub scene in Belfast. You know, of, of should it be more liberal with licenses and make it easier to to create new venues, smaller venues, that type of thing? There's a lot there. I mean, I drink too much, like totally. I have no bones about saying that. Like, and a lot of that has to do with working in that the area that I work in. But also, I mean, it's funny. I, a lot of it has to do with having a busy life and three kids. So, like. When I need to blow off, I blow off, you know. Um, it's not, it's obviously not. Uh, sometimes I think this wouldn't be great if somewhere in an alternative universe, like alcohol was illegal and, you know, we all kind of learned to get by without it. Um, but it's, but that's not the case. And, you know, um, what I would tell, I, I teach event management course once a year. And what I would always teach my students is, Look, it doesn't matter if you don't drink and it doesn't matter if half your audience don't drink. You can't afford to lose the half that do. Um, and there are a ton of people who go to events and arts events all the time and don't drink, and that's fine. But there's also a ton of people who, are, for whom it's synonymous with going out. Yeah. And and you can't, you're not going to, like, it's not my job to change that, right? Um, and I can't afford as a commercial operator to just kind of, you know, just go, well, that's tough. We'll just lose half that audience. So it's always something you have to bear in mind. Um, but there's a, I guess, I guess in, in terms of what your second part of your question is, there's a drinking culture in Northern Ireland. And I, I would kind of argue that, um, part of that drinking culture is driven by, the nature of our business here and a lot of that business is driven by like in order to run a bar in Belfast um, 
99% of them, you, you, you need to, it, it happens because, because of an archaic piece of legislation, not, I'm not interested in the licensing laws. I don't want to drink till five in the morning. I mean, that would be good, but that's not the important, that's not the most important problem with licensing laws in Northern Ireland. The most important problem is that licenses are limited. So what that means is that if I decide I want to set up a business as a bar, I can't just apply for a license. I have to get one that already exists. So these only become available every so often. And when they do, they are you know tens of thousands of pounds. Um, to have a license. And the only way that most people can afford these is they get the breweries, the big breweries, usually one of two breweries at Tenants or Guinness to pay for those. So that means their taps are tied, which is disadvantageous to our local brewery scene for a start, but then also means that there, there's a, I mean, you know, maybe you could argue there's a little bit of price fixing. We certainly have London prices in Belfast um, for our alcohol, but it also means that all those bars are basically driving uh, what is essentially a highly capitalist model. So you're basically prioritizing profit over um, most other considerations. Now, there'll be a lot of talk about responsibility because if they don't talk about that, then they lose their license. But effectively, what you're trying to do is sell as much drink as you can. And I think what's interesting when you kind of compare uh, most of the bars in Belfast, for example, to the likes of Pedro and the Sunflower, and one of the reasons why he's the kind of hero of the, the you know, the latte drink and Liberate is because he doesn't treat, he's a person, his taps aren't tied, and he doesn't treat his business like that, you know, so he, he's very much um, holistic about his customers and his politics and his business, um, and that's a really, really refreshing kind of way to be. Um, and that's why I'll go and drink there, you know, and I'll go and drink in the black box. You know, there'll be my two places of choice, you know. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really basic problem with how, uh, so, so when you talk about drinking culture is what I'm saying. So you can't have a wee, you can't really have a small kind of family run bar, you know, unless you've been there for 20 or 30 years, you know, you can't set one up now. Uh, you can't have a kind of, uh, you, you need to maximize the size. When you get a license, you need to get a big room. You need to get as many people in there as possible. You need to sell them as much drink as possible. And th th you, you can see that reflected in our drinking culture. You know, that's the drive to get people to do that. Um, yeah. And I, and I've, it's I, quantity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, and that's why, you know, that, and again, that's why the, the entertainers that you get in these bars are lowest common denominator, cover balancing and Ed Sheeran. I, I mean, I personally believe that they turn the volume up too high so that it's impossible to have a conversation. So you drink more, right? Yeah. You when you can't drink. hear the person beside you talking, there's nothing else to do but drink. You know, and I've been in so many bars where it's like, I can't talk to you. So we're just, we'll just finish this pint and go to the next bar, basically, is what I do. But there's obviously plenty of people who hang around. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, you know, there, that is. That, that one issue has a multiplicity of impacts that are unseen and largely untalked about because Hospitality Ulster, who are the ones who are lobbying for this, for the, they, they aren't concerned with that. They are in bed with that. They are embedded to that system and their, their you know, dues are paid by people who are wedded to that system. 
Um, so I'm kind I'm kind of interested in looking to see if we can actually get you know a lobby that would speak for the drinkers <laughs> as opposed yeah. to the bars, you know, because whenever you whenever you talk about licensing or you talk about you know drinking culture in Northern Ireland, it's always that lobby organisation that's on, and they don't represent like most of the people who they don't represent the drinkers. They represent a very small number of publicans, you know, who own maybe 10 or 20 bars each. And I don't really think they speak for, for me as a punter. And I, I respect their right to do their business. I understand they're working within a system, blah, 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 blah. But, I, but I, as a drinker, I think the system's a bit shit. How do you, this may be a bit of a technical question, but you know, if for licenses, can you only buy an existing license that's in Belfast, or could I import one from some wee bar in Armagh is closing down? Or not a total expert. I th- I'm pretty sure you can. I think it is. I think you can buy one in Armagh, and and but I don't know. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't be a hundred percent certain. Yeah, because I mean, you, you can see after COVID, like a lot of those kind of small, especially rural pubs are going to go to the wall. I mean, you're not going to be able to survive. Yeah, um, there's going to be licenses. <laughs> there's going to be some licenses that 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 i mean the irony of it is that the cost of a license is probably going to come down because a lot yeah. of businesses are going to go to the wall and even the big the big boys won't be able to grab them all maybe maybe they will i don't know but um yeah so that, i suppose if you were um that should be your next campaign is to uh get a group together just to buy a, a cheap license but um, if they hit rock bottom just <laughs> to have for a new venue well yeah know. i mean look you know there's there yeah it might happen uh, not me but like there's there yeah. are there are people here i mean uh, you know pedro's obviously done it and and um a few other I'm not. I'm not trying to suggest that that he's the only decent publican in Belfast. There are lots of good guys out there, and like to be honest, the intention of even the big guys is is kind of not terrible. You know, they're um, they're not Weatherspoons. You know what I mean? But um, yeah. But at least, but but I, I, for me, like again, like we talk about, like for me, it's I uh, just don't hit the player, hit the game. You know, I just don't think the system is is correct, and I think it leads people to make decisions both as publicans and as drinkers that are not that that we that we could probably do without you know i think there's a better way yeah because I, I know one, one of my rules is, is i never drink it at, at home because my wife doesn't drink and i never drink on my own and for me i, I think what the, the transition is unfortunate because a lot more people now are drinking at home even before the kind of lockdown and I think it, it's kind of very bad for your mental health because i think pubs have an advantage and you can go out and have a chat with your mates bit of crack Whereas just sitting at home in front of the TV, boozing yourself is just kind of possibly the most depressing thing I can think of. I don't know. I've been practicing that quite a lot. And <laughs> uh, I'd say, I mean, playing playing cards on Zoom is like, and having a drink is totally fine. Um, yeah. Well, that's okay. But at least you're not just sitting yeah. watching Netflix. And the, da- the, danger, the, the, the danger is you don't have a public and going, mate, you've had enough. You need to go home. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? So like, Passing out, passing out on a Zoom quiz is not a good look. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably finish it up there, Adam. So um, to finish off, I was just going to ask you, is there any kind of like books or podcasts or, or whatever you've been kind of listening to lately or reading lately that you kind of recommend the listeners to check out? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a massive reader. I've been reading um, the Umbrella Academy uh, comic books recently, which I've been enjoying. Um, what, what was your What was your view of the Netflix show remake? I, I 
liked it actually. You know, it's like it's different from the book in in ways that I'm kind of okay with um, because it, it's kind of unfilmable, really. A lot of what they were, you know, what's in the original. Um, so I've, I've, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. Um, I actually actually hadn't read the book. I'm I'm reading the the book after like her- heresy. I'm reading the book after I'd watched the TV show. So. Um, yeah. I'm kind of interested to see the differences, but I kind of think as, as separate pieces of work, I quite like them. Looking forward yeah, I to kind of enjoyed. Was it was it did was it the October faction? Was that what it was called? I think it was based on a comic book as well. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. I did. Enjoy, I did enjoy Lock and Key in a really childish way as well, though it was kind of fun. Um, I've also yeah. been listening to um, Peter Rollins' podcast, which I, like he's a friend of mine, and he's had this podcast for a long time, and I've never uh, really. I've always thought it would be a bit boring, um, but it's really great. I'm really enjoying it. It's called The Fundamentalists, and it's him as a philosopher talking to this American comedian that he's friends with. And the American comedian kind of plays the me in it, going asking stupid questions and um, going, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, and, and then he kind of explains the philosophy stuff. Um, and it's actually in lockdown. It's been really interesting. You know, there's just lots of talk about there's a really good one on communication and just how, you know, thinking about those big existential issues is is part of that space that we talked about earlier in terms of like, you know, I think when you think about big ideas, it informs your creativity. You know, it, it absolutely makes you think about, you know, how you do things and why you do things and how you could do them better, even though you might not fully get it at the time, you know, yeah, the practice. Exactly. I did philosophy at university, so for me, like the practice of thinking is like is like really important. It's really important, to, like the, how you form your ideas and how you you know think about why you think, and and being free to change your mind again. You know that sort of stuff. It's all really good. Well, I was going to say um, is that's probably something that we're all looking forward to again. Is sitting in the sunflower bar at one am discussing philosophy over a few pints. Too right, man. I'm, pu- I'm putting the world to right. Um, so I think we'll we'll leave it up there now. If people want to find out more, I know you're on Twitter. We'll we'll put the link and we'll put the to, the link to see it here Arts. And I think you also have some walking tours coming up, don't you? Do yeah, we're we're starting the walking tours on the 19th of July, um, and we'll have events kind of coming online, a few small events in August, and hopefully in the autumn back to our regular things. We'll probably have a small street art festival this year. Um, we've postponed it from May, so um, yeah, no, it, it's we'll see. No, we're we're watching the numbers every day, and numbers here are good. Like I, I think we should be, you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with with what we've got at the minute. Like so. Yes. Yeah. Well, on that, on that positive note, we'll, we'll leave it there. So. Adam Turgenen, thanks very much for being our guest. If you've enjoyed today's Slugger podcast, please subscribe and give us a review. Thank you. Thanks. The Slugger Tool podcast is sponsored by Queen's University Belfast. Researchers at Queen's are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus. To discover more about their research, please visit qeb.ac.uk. <laughs> <laughs>